0: You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 45. Well, welcome to the Little Green Cheese Podcast. I'm Gavin Webber, and this is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Now, the question of the week was about curd cutting or cutting your curd and why does the size matter? Now, this was from one of my customers from Little Green Workshops and she called out in, um, in desperation and asked, why are my curds all sloppy? Um, she was making a feta cheese at the time and uh, I had to ask her where... What she actually did, she she had uh, coagulated the cheese, coagulated the milk, um, so it, it had set. She'd cut it, and then straight from there, she had poured it into her cheesecloth, and it went all sloppy, and then she couldn't figure out why. Now, that's all fine, because, you know, I've done that before myself, when I first started making cheese. And so let's talk about the reason why we cut our cheese, and then we, uh, and what, what size we cut it and why we cut it the size we do, and why we then cook the curds. And cooking basically means heating the curds to a specific temperature as specified in the recipe to expel as much whey as we can. So the main reason that we cut um, rennet coagulated cheeses, uh, cut the curd for that cheese, uh, we want to cut it into the same size pieces And shape, hopefully. So when you cut the curds smaller, the cheese, the resultant cheese, tends to be a lot drier. If you cut the curds larger, you end up with a moister cheese. So the cutting patterns, I normally cut in a cubed pattern, and you've probably seen that on many of my YouTube videos. And if you haven't seen that, just pop over to the cheese videos tab on uh, littlegreencheese.com and pick any of the semi-hard cheeses and you can see that I'm using a curd knife and I'm cutting in a a cube pattern. Um, Basically what I'm doing is according to the recipe cutting it diagonally uh, horizontally sorry I'm cutting it vertically in a crosshatch sort of manner so I do one one side and then uh, turn it diagonally and then cut the other side and then I cut at a 45 degree angle to uh, to get the the horizontal cuts. So when I do cut though I usually say in the recipe what the curd size, what the cubed size should be. Um, so when I'm cutting say parmesan then I'll cut it down to about a oh, it's about a quarter of an inch which is, what's that in metric? Um, that's about six millimetres. So six millimetres um, and what I also do with uh, parmesan is I use a balloon whisk and I push that up and down to make the grains rice-sized, basically. Not right away, but as small as I possibly can without making the curd all mushy. Um, and then as I stir it, as I cook it to a higher temperature, up to about 52 degrees with parmesan, if I remember rightly, uh, it then shrinks down to rice size curd pieces however when I'm making something like feta I cut the cube size um, a lot bigger because it is a moister cheese so um, I cut it to about uh, 15 mil which is about half an inch so and then I have to stir it so once you've cut your curd and you've got it to the right size uh, and hopefully to every every curd cube the same sort of size, then we stir it and we cook the curd. So to create a, and we make sure we have a uniform temperature, so we we'll usually start off around between 30 and 32 degrees Celsius, and depending on the recipe, we may need to increase the temperature of the cheese up to about 35 and. When you're using a, um, that's when you're using a mesophilic culture, but when you're using a thermophilic culture and you're doing the hard Italian cheeses, then you'll need to go up to around about uh, between 48 and uh, 52 degrees uh, Celsius. And as you do that and the amount of time you stir the curds, uh, you'll find that the curds shrink and they expel weight so the process of expelling the whey is called. Let me say this: synesis um spelled S-Y-N-E-R-E-S-I-S. The the curd has a natural tendency to contract and to expel the whey. But as I said, you've got to be able. To, you've got to stir it. You've got to increase the temperature, and it's the length of time depends on how much of the whey expels from the curd. If you cut the curd too small for your desired cheese, you'll end up with a dry, hard cheese when you're probably looking for something that's um, a little bit better than that. So basically that's why we cut curd and why we cut it down to the different sizes. Um, sizes, as I mentioned, can range from anywhere between 6 millimeters um, to 25 millimeters which is about a quarter of an inch up to about an inch. With cheddar, is a good example, that's about a centimetre, which is um, three-eighths of an inch. So those Q- So to get those um, sizes evenly, what I basically do, if I'm making any sorts of cheddars um, that require about a centimetre, uh, and a fair few of my cheeses are, I use my curd cutter that was specifically made for cutting curds one centimetre in size. So I get the same result every single time over and over, uh, which is really good for the cheeses that I make because I get a a very similar result each and every time because I've cut them exactly the same size. So that's why it's important to cut your curds and it's also important to stir your curds and cook them um, so they expel the right amount of whey. So now it's time for the news, and I've got some local news here. Um, I live in the city of uh, Greater Melbourne here in Victoria, Australia, and there happens to be a couple of cheese festivals that are on. Uh, so the first one I'm going to mention is on the 24th of October, and that is the Peran Market Cheese Festival. Uh, I think it goes from... It says there's some stuff starting at 12. I think it'll be before then, so at about uh, between 10 and 2, um, there's some displays. And there's going to be free cheese tastings and samples uh, during the day from all of their deli operators, um, including um, cheese providers such as Calendar Cheese, Red Cow and King Island Dairy. So that's something to look forward to. I'm going to pop along there with my son and see what sorts of things are going there and see if I can sample some new cheeses. And then, after I've done that, I'll figure out if I can find the recipe and try and replicate that here at home. It's always good to have a go at new cheeses. So um, I'm going to pop over to the Paran Market Cheese Festival on the 24th of October, um, which is a Saturday. So I'm going to go and check that out. Uh, The next one is... The Williamstown, again in Melbourne, uh, Williamstown uh, Wine and Cheese Festival. So that's on the 25th of October, so the following day from the Paran Cheese Festival. And they're going to show people how to make cheese and there's going to be lots of cheese tasting and obviously lots of wine tasting as well. That actually has a cost to it. I think it's $25 a head. Um, There's live music, cheese making, cheese tasting, the whole lot. So um, you can go to wineandcheesefest.com.au and check out the information on the Wine and Cheese Festival. So that's the local news here. Um, If any of my listeners have any uh, cheese festivals that they'd like to promote on the podcast, um, I'll happily do that free of charge. Um, So send through the details via email. You can contact me on my contact page at uh, littlegreencheese.com. Send it through, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, because I have listeners from all over the globe, which is fantastic. Now, one final piece of news. Um, I have a cheese making course, a mozzarella and ricotta workshop, and that's occurring on the 18th of October here in Melton. So the details for that are over at littlegreencheese.com. And you just click through the Cheese Workshops tab and you'll go over to Little Green Workshops and, you, and there's some booking details there. It's a lovely little course. It goes for three hours. You get to make um, mozzarella yourself, but I talk through um, basic cheese making principles and I show a demonstration of ricotta. And then afterwards um, we break out some, some French bread and uh, we chomp down on the mozzarella. It's a fantastic, great little course. I enjoy teaching it. So, like I said, the details are over at uh, littlegreencheese.com. Okay, so that's the news for the episode. Rightio, now we've got the questions section of the show, and the first question is from Shelley. Now, I'm not sure where Shelley is from she says, Hi Gavin, I've been following your cheese making tutorials and have made a few cheeses from your recipe book. I have waxed the cheddars and will follow your guide of waxing the parmesan after a month. I vacuum sealed the halloumi and I am wondering how long feta lasts when vacuum sealed. Have you any suggestions as would prefer to store it? That way to limit the salt penetration through the cheese, as my husband has high blood pressure and follows a low salt diet. I probably won't, it probably won't last long anyway, but I would still like to know. Okay, thanks for your question, Shelly. Appreciate it. Yes, so feta. So, backpacking feta should be pretty easy. You, um, I would brine it for a day. Um, just to make sure that it does absorb enough salt, um, but then don't leave it in the brine. so take it out. I would just pat it, pat it dry with paper towel um, just to make sure there's no excessive moisture on the cheese. And then I would just simply put it into the vacpack plastic bag and uh, suck all the air out. Look it'll last for at least six months in that container. Easy. I've got cheese that I've had vacpacked for over a year now, easy. And, uh, and once I crack it open, it is perfect. It is exactly the same as the day I vacuum packed it. Once you exclude all the oxygen, um, the cheese doesn't develop in or doesn't mature any further in flavour and it, uh, it has the same taste as it went in. So if you do want to have a fairly lightly salted um, feta, then, then that's the best way to do it. So after about 24 hours, you've got to make sure there's some salt in there so it's, so it's preserved. Uh, and then vacuum pack it. But you can experiment if you, if you think you could get away with twelve hours. Depends on the size of the feta. If you're making a um, an eight liter batch of feta, so doubling the recipe that I have in the Keep Calm and Make Cheese, the Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home. If you use my my ebook or book, then uh, yeah, make sure that it uh, that calls for four liters of milk. So if you double it. Just make sure that you double the amount of time that you're putting into the brine. So hopefully that helps, uh, and thanks so much for your question, Shelley. So the next question is from, this one's from Judy. Uh, Judy says, uh, thank you for your books and videos. I refer to them whenever cheese making. My problem is that the blue cheese is so delicious, but is also so runny and quite slumped. It exudes thin liquid when in the fridge, um, wrapped in cheese paper, and really not much blue visible. I vary humidity when ripening between fifty and eighty five percent, but results are consistent. I really value any suggestions. Thank you for all your efforts you put into helping us and the planet Judy. Well, Thank you very much, Judy. I think you're referring to the Greenie and Gavin blog that I also run over there. But, uh, yeah, look, I think I can help. What I do is that when I'm making my blue cheese, yeah, it does um, go runny sometimes, but what I've managed to do over the last few times is that I wrap it in aluminium foil now, uh, and that's just the outside. So that's the cylindrical part and I leave the two ends open. And when the two ends start to form uh, a form of... Um, it looks like blue slime, I just um, pull that off with a knife so to scrape it off um, as you would um, scraping a piece of wood so I just scrape that off and uh, and then let it continue to age and I find that that way the cheese still stays moist but it doesn't go all gooey, um, it's the ends that usually go gooey um, and I find that by pulling that off it uh, it, it ages quite well and um, I still keep it in its maturation box and it sits at about 90% um, relative humidity and I find that I get fairly decent results. Now, the odd time that uh, I forget to turn it or something like that, it may go a little bit gooey on the end, but then what I do, I just make a blue cheese sauce with the, the bits I've scraped off and it is absolutely delicious and continue to let the, the cheese mature in the, the ripening box. And then I wrap it up with uh, micro cheese wrap and then let it mature in the, sorry, and then store it in the fridge. Or I have been known to also vacuum pack the blue cheese and uh, and it stores for quite a long time. And uh, no, there's no further um, Penicillium Rogue 40 uh, activity within the cheese. But yeah, I would pierce it as per my recipe, which is after about the four days of turning, then pierce it again at about the 15 day mark and then you'll find that you'll have more blue lines through your cheese as well. Well, thanks, Judy. Thanks very much for your email. The next one is from... It's more of praise than anything else. This one's from Mark. Mark says, Hi, Gavin. I think you have some of the best cheese-making videos on the internet. You are a great teacher. Keep it going. Keep making cheeses. P.S. Could you make a cottage cheese video? I think it would be fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Well, Mark, I'm going to add it to the list. Um, So far on my list, as I've said, hang on, I'll just uh, find it here. So I've got Havati on my list. I've got Gouda with cumin. And now I have cottage cheese. Just writing that down (laughs) so I don't forget. Okay, so I have a couple of free weekends coming up soon. And and now it is springtime. It is perfect weather for making cheese here at home. Uh, It's not too cold. It's not too hot. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to spend a whole weekend making cheeses and recording the videos. So there should be a, a bit of a glut of those coming out soon. But thanks very, Mark, for your praise and uh, and your suggestion for a cheese making video. The next one is a bit of a long one. This one's from Scott and Scott doesn't say where he's from, um, but he talks about he's a new, che- new cheese maker. Um, but a long-time home brewer, and he sees a lot of parallels between the two hobbies, particularly in the area of sour and wild beer styles. It brings me to a bit of a strange question that I'm having problems finding an answer to. In the beer world, beer styles developed, originally developed in a particular location based on the grains grown in the area, malting techniques, and the microflora in the air. Over time, these regional specialties were refined, techniques and cultures were shared around the world, and as such, we have beer styles we know today. I imagine the same thing would be more or less true of cheese. Styles developed based on what kind of milk was available, what those animals were eating, microflora in the air, and locally developed methods of processing the curd. I'm having a real issue finding information about how these styles developed in their given areas. Would you know anything about it? Perhaps a history of cheese would make a great or would make an interesting podcast or two. Scott, I definitely think it would and I've been giving it some thought and I'm going to research the history of a couple of the well-known cheeses that people make at home and find out how they were originally developed, if I can figure it out. Some of the cheeses, especially the Italian ones, date back um, way back to Roman times, so it may be quite difficult to find out how they originally first made these cheeses. But, you know, some of the local history around cheddars and stuff like that, I'm sure I can dig up and do um, the intro of the podcast anyway. I I, I like the format, um, how it is, having question time at the end. But, yeah, certainly I'll have a look at that. Now, what I will do is he's got um, two other questions, <laughs> so I'm going to leave that for this show. I don't want it to uh, ramble on too much. Um, but uh, thanks very much, Scott, and I appreciate uh, you sending in that question, and we'll do part two in the next episode. Well, that's all about what we've got for this week. Um, keep listening. There's going to be lots more cheese podcasts here on Little Green Cheese, and as I mentioned before, I am teaching a cheese-making workshop here in Melton, so anybody who's local in uh, Victoria, Australia or uh, the greater Melbourne area, then uh, look up the, uh, the course details over at littlegreencheese.com and click on the uh, Cheese Workshops tab and you'll get the information on how to book that uh, and the cost. But thanks for listening everybody. For upcoming workshop dates, recipes, and my YouTube videos, you can find all of those over at littlegreencheese.com. You can also find my ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home, and that's available in all ebook formats. Now, for Australian readers or listeners, <laughs> you can actually buy a hardback, or oh, it's a hardback, it's a booklet that I put together. And if you pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au and go to the book section, you can find Keep Calm and Make Cheese in a booklet form, uh, which is very informative for everybody. You can also find all my cheese-making products, kits, supplies and equipment over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au for all those of you in Australia and New Zealand. Yes, we do ship our products over to New Zealand as well. Well, thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of Little Green Cheese Podcast. During this podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, News Theme, and Call to the Dairy Cows. Bye.